right, welcome to a brand new day. Nice to have your company. Wherever you're listening to us, whether it's on starterfm.com.au, on the iHeartRadio app, or perhaps tune in, or on the Prawncast. Welcome to Wednesday, the 23rd day of March. I'll have bite-sized chunks of news and some opinions as well and some of your feedback coming up. There's lots to talk about. Uh, A few politicians are in a uh, spot of bother. Um, I see, um, you know, the criticism of so-called woke liberals continues from the new transport minister in New South Wales. We've got um, his mate from the South Coast who is about to be dumped. That's Gareth Ward after yesterday's announcement that police have laid historical sexual assault charges against him. Uh, Dominic Perrottet, he'll... (laughs) He'll be glad, I suppose, that he's not in the office for the next couple of weeks uh, on parental leave after the birth of a new bub, but gee's going to have a few headaches. There's no doubt that Gareth Ward is history Um, at this stage. It depends on when his court case wraps up and whether or not it can, I guess, occur, you know, before the next state election. But uh, I don't think the uh, the New South Wales coalition government will give him that option. Uh, they've either asked for his resignation, and if he won't resign, which I don't think he will, then they're going to punt him. Uh, they'll they'll pass a motion in Parliament, and he will he'll he'll be gone. All right. Speaking of people who are gone, Don Harwin apparently has picked up a oh, some sort of artsy fartsy gig. In the public sector, I'll, I'll make mention a brief mention of that a little later. Uh, see you, Don. <laughs> I'm not a fan of Don Harwin, obviously. Uh, there's plenty more to talk about. We're going to catch up with Sir Khan Oztark, of course, from True News... Uh, New, what is it? True Crime News Weekly. Yes, True Crime News Weekly. Uh, if you haven't caught up with Sir Khan's work here and his uh, wonderful team, they tackle some really interesting stories. We spoke last week about Gladys Berejiklian's new gig at Optus, even though you know some people at Optus weren't happy about it. Anyway, he's got some great stories that he's going to tell us about this morning that have just dropped on his uh, on his news site. So we'll catch up with Sir Khan. I look forward to that a little later in the program after eight o'clock, uh, New South Wales Daylight Saving Time. Okay, plenty of great music on the way as well. Of course, if you would like to participate in the program, and uh, you can do uh, do it a number of ways. You can send me an email, marcus.paul at starterfm.com.au. Uh, Maureen has done that. Marcus, the Liberals can throw all the mud they like, including attempting to use the untimely death of Kimberly Kitching to their advantage, something I find abhorrent. What matters to the electorate is the ever-burdening cost of living, hence the latest poll figures, Maureen. Thank you for your feedback, Maureen. I do appreciate it. And, uh, yes, I know you're looking forward to hearing from Sir Khan on the program a little later this morning. So that's all coming up. Okay, nice to have your company on this Wednesday, the 23rd day of March. Marcus Paul in the morning. Starter FM. Welcome back Wednesday morning and there's a lot to get through. I thought we might start with the Gareth Ward story. Look, I wasn't shocked nor surprised that uh, the New South Wales MP, Gareth Ward, has been charged over historical sexual abuse allegations. Now, 
The MP has been charged over the alleged historical sexual abuse of a man and a teenage boy. A police spokesperson yesterday confirmed the Kiama MP had been charged with sexual offences and granted conditional bail. Now, New South Wales police began investigating alleged sexual violence-related offences in May of last year. Now, the 40-year-old attended Oak Flats Police Station around midday yesterday. He has since been charged with three counts of assault, with an act of indecency and one count each of sexual intercourse without consent and common assaults. Now, police will allege Mr Ward indecently assaulted a 17-year-old boy at Maroo Meadow in February of 2013 and sexually abused a 27-year-old man in Sydney in September of 2015. He is due to appear at Port Kemble local court in May. Now, yesterday, Mr Ward said he would defend the charges. He wrote in a statement, I am innocent and I intend to prove it. I've instructed my lawyers to use every available procedural avenue to bring this matter to trial as quickly as possible. There is much more I would like to say, but on the strict advice of my lawyers and out of respect for our justice system, I will not be making any further comment at this time. Now, Mr Ward identified himself as the MP under investigation by police over sexual violence allegations last May. It led to him resigning from the government's and his family's communities and disability services portfolio to move to the crossbench. Now, Mr Ward said in a statement at the time that he had not been contacted by police and denied any wrongdoing. However, Dominic Perrottet has responded against, uh, well, to the sexual violence charges against the former Liberal MP. And we have to remember, of course, that these are allegations. Anyway, uh, here is what's been reported yesterday. Following discussions with the acting Premier, I've therefore attempted to contact the Kiama MP to seek his resignation from the Parliament with immediate effect. Now, should Gareth Ward decide not to resign, the government will move a motion to remove him from Parliament. Apparently, Dominic Perrottet has also written to the State Director of the Liberal Party, requesting that Mr Ward be suspended from the party pending the outcome of the criminal trial against him. Mr Ward, of course, is entitled to defend himself against the serious charges against him, but he must do that as a private citizen. The matter is now before the courts and no further comment will be made by the Premier. Uh, Dominic Perrottet said Mr Ward would be asked, as I say, to resign from Parliament and should he refuse, well, the government will punt him. It's as simple as that. So effectively, it looks like we'll be headed for another by-election here in New South Wales for the seat of Kiama. Interesting times. Marcus Paul in the morning. All right, good morning. Nice to have you company on this Wednesday. Well, from Gareth Ward's woes, to the former Deputy Premier of New South Wales. Now, I have to play a straight bat with this, obviously, because it's currently before the courts. But I noticed that John Barillaro broke down in court yesterday as he told of the, quote, disgusting hate mail he received after videos were posted on YouTube. Now, we know what this is all about. My followers and the followers of Friendly Geordies, a.k.a. Jordan Shanks, will understand exactly where this has all come from. Now, the former New South Wales Deputy Premier 
told the federal court that he'd received hate mail so vicious it included a reference to his daughter being tied to a pole and raped in front of him after Google allowed a series of controversial videos to remain on YouTube. Yeah, well, I mean, that's beyond the pale. Absolutely. I, I, I can understand people wanting to have a crack at uh, the allegations um, surrounding John Barillaro with the evidence provided by Jordan Shanks, but I draw the line at people including his family. I mean, that is that is low. It's beyond the pale, and uh, the people involved in that kind of vicious hate mail should hang their heads in shame. I'm sorry, but that's just how I feel about it. John Barillaro is suing Google, as you know, for damages after it refused to remove two videos posted on the YouTube channel of Friendly Geordies, a popular comedy and political commentary outlet, as most of my followers will know. The federal court has been told that Mr. Barillaro claimed various videos fronted by Jordan Shanks, the face of Friendly Geordies, were defamatory because they wrongly portrayed him as a corrupt con man who took bribes, perjured himself, blackmailed other elected officials and misused public funds. Uh, now, uh, this, you know, unfortunately hasn't been contested yeah, because the defamation trial between Jordan and John Barillaro never made it to court. There was a settlement, $100,000-odd paid, and everything was set aside. As I mentioned, Friendly Geordies and Mr Barillaro reached a settlement last year. hundred grand paid in legal cost, and there was a couple of edits to the two videos at the centre of the dispute. One of them, the big video called Bruzz. Now, Google, who's the owner of YouTube, continued to defend its decision to allow the videos to be published, despite multiple complaints and requests to have the videos removed. The court was told yesterday that Google had dropped its remaining defence in the case and would no longer claim the videos were in the public interest. Now, Mr. Barillaro, who served as Deputy Premier from 2016 to 2021, took to the stand yesterday to give evidence about the extent of the harm the videos had caused him. He wept in court, saying the stress of the case and damage the videos caused left him looking at the balcony for a way to escape the pain. Well, I am sorry to hear that. Look, I'm no big fan of John Barillaro, given the evidence that I've seen into allegations made by Jordan and his team uh, into John. But, you know, uh, when people start contemplating and having suicidal thoughts, that's when I do start to con uh, have concerns. Look, Mr. Barillaro said it's not just the video. The video is one part of the abuse that has been constant. I got disgusting, revolting messages. Go kill yourself. You should be dead. You're a person of shit, your daughter should be tied to a pole and raped in front of you and then we'll kill you. Yeah, that kind of stuff is ridiculously outrageous and doesn't have a place. Sure, cr be critical of the politician, be critical of the man and his alleged actions, but never under any circumstances include in your commentary his, his family, certainly not his daughter. Anyway, Mr. Barillaro claims that this is the kind of stuff that comes off the back of these sorts of videos. 
He said when more videos were posted, the abuse escalated and he was confronted by angry community members while getting groceries at the pub and buying fuel. He goes on to say he, that is Mr Shanks, got a whole online community to believe the garbage that I was a con man or corrupt, that I perjured myself, and then he did it through racism. Uh, Mr Barillaro continued, I didn't get into politics to be corrupt. I made my money, my fortune in business for 20 years, working my guts out from starting on the factory floor, and I learned from Dad. We invested wisely and we sacrificed. All right, well, more of the Friendly Geordies videos were played in the federal court again yesterday, including those that referenced media stories about Mr Barillaro's marriage breakdown and the start of his relationship with his former senior media advisor uh, that was told were part of a campaign of attacks. Mr Barillaro said he actually thought it was never going to end. Every time a video was posted, it ramped up so hard and so harsh. Now, uh, the former Deputy Premier said the allegations contained in the videos were either false, taken out of context, years old, or had not led to any findings of wrongdoing. The court was told that Mr Barillaro felt the friendly Geordie's campaign against him was retribution over a Daily Telegraph story in which he told a journalist that Mr Shanks made videos containing racist undertones in the form of impersonations with exaggerated accents. I called out racism. Well, see, this is the thing that kind of, this is where he loses me a little bit. I mean, I feel for John Barillaro and, you know, receiving the death threats and I've been there most recently, as you know, but um, he claims the undertone of the videos was all racist and the accents and the terms that were used and all the rest of it, uh, you know, he basically says it's a throwback to the time when we were called wogs and dagos and all the rest of it. Well, John, come on, mate. I was called a wog growing up every second day. Anyway. All right, so we'll go on uh, toward the end of this. And what I found interesting in the reporting of it yesterday was the fact that John Barillaro said he considered settling with Google when an offer was received and people, including the former Premier Gladys Berejiklian, urged him to reconsider the action, but he decided to press on. He said in court yesterday, I remember even the Premier said, just leave it alone. She didn't want me to take on friendly Geordies. Anyway, the hearing continues. Marcus Paul in the morning. Right, Wednesday morning, we'll check uh, some letters to the editor. I'll, I'll do that for you very soon. A lot of people having their say in relation to Labor's woes at a federal level. Um, Anthony Albanese. Uh, well, we know that he will permanently honour the late ALP Senator Kimberley Kitching with an unprecedented award, but uh, there's still plenty of pressure on Albo uh, to hold a an independent inquiry into the allegations of bullying by the so-called mean girls of Labor. Anyway, I'll get to that story for you very soon. Uh, but I was devastated to learn that we've had a, a very young death just a day after this little toddler fell sick. He died from COVID. A two-year-old boy. Now, it won't be referred, that is his death, won't be referred to the coroner, I'm told, because clinicians are confident it was the virus that claimed the youngster's life. Gorgeous little fella. Carter Chung, 
had no underlying health conditions but died just one day after being diagnosed at the Children's Hospital at Westmead. It's understood Carter became very ill late on Wednesday of last week and in the early hours of Thursday morning before being rushed to hospital. He died on Saturday morning with his parents unaware he had COVID until being tested at the hospital. New South Wales Health in a statement said, Tragically, a previously well two-year-old child from Sydney died at the Children's Hospital at Westmead due to COVID-19. New South Wales Health asks for the privacy of this child's family to be respected during this most difficult time. Look, friends of the young family said on social media, some of you may have heard recently the father Damien and his family tragically lost their two-year-old boy Carter. Damien Chung thanked people for loving his little boy and donating money to the family. This means so much to us. I don't know so many, I didn't know that so many people cared so much about our little Carter. Now, New South Wales Health has not revealed whether Carter had the Delta or Omicron variant of the virus, but the latter has been the dominant strain, of course, in the state for some months now. Children under the age of five are not currently eligible for a vaccination against COVID-19, but clinical trials for the age group are currently underway. Infectious diseases expert Professor Paul Griffin Yesterday said in newspapers, concerned parents of young children who are not yet eligible for vaccinations should remain, quote, cautious, but not panic. These sorts of cases, which are terribly unfortunate, and my heart breaks for the family, serve to highlight we aren't past this. And that's according to Professor Paul Griffin. Yeah, that poor little mite. Poor little fella. Marcus Paul in the morning. All right, welcome back. Wednesday morning, whether you're listening to us on the Prawncast podcast or maybe live, hopefully you are on Starter FM or your favourite radio app, iHeartRadio or TuneIn, it is nice to have your company on this Wednesday morning. Well, the Hunter Valley and northern New South Wales are slated to benefit from a $60 million federal government commitment which will be aimed at bringing international visitors back to the regions hardest hit by two years of pandemic shutdowns. While 15 million bucks will be spent on bringing tourists back to far north Queensland and the Great Barrier Reef, a further 45 million will be invested in Tourism Australia for advertising as well as partnership activities with tourism wholesalers, advertisers and the media. The funds are in addition to over $20 billion spent by the government supporting tourism and hospitality operators through the pandemic via JobKeeper, the cash flow boost and various targeted programs. Now, yesterday, the Prime Minister, Scott Morrison, said our government is backing Australia's tourism industry with a $60 million plan to bring back international visitors, especially to the regions that have been hardest hit. Uh, ScoMo said, as the world reopens and travellers get out and see the world again, we want to ensure that the at the top of every must-see list is Australia. 
The package is about getting people on planes and getting them here. The return of our international tourism market will support hundreds of thousands of tourism jobs. It'll help strengthen our economy and back our world-class tourism operators and the many regions' reliance on international visitors. So that's an initiative by the federal governments in the last 48 hours. All right, well, speaking of international travel and, and jets, what a horrific accident we heard about in the last uh, 24 hours. This airliner with 132 people aboard plummeting some 30,000 feet to the ground before bursting into flames on a mountainside in southern China. No survivors and uh, at this stage the reason for the aviation disaster is unknown although I noticed in some reports yesterday, foul play is perhaps a cause. Now, the Boeing 737 flight from Kunming City to the southern hub of Zhangzhou lost airborne contact um, in the Zhangzhou region. Gee, I hope I'm pronouncing all this correctly. Uh, That's according to the the Civil Aviation Administration of China. Uh, the accident, unfortunately, killed all 123 passengers and nine flight crew members. Dear, oh dearie me. Just awful. Of course, fears for the fate of the jet spread late Monday afternoon and Monday evening as local media reported China Eastern Flight MU5735 had not arrived as planned after taking off shortly after 1pm local time. President Xi Jinping said he was shocked and ordered an immediate investigation. Terrible, terrible story. Marcus Paul in the morning on this Wednesday. Nice to have you company. Okay, welcome back. Marcus Paul in the morning, Wednesday. And uh, look... I uh, I shouldn't be celebrating this, but I don't care. I couldn't stand the bloke, to be perfectly honest. He thought he was above all the rest of us at the start of COVID and carried on like a, a spoilt, petulant politician. I'm speaking of former Arts Minister Don Harwin. Well, he's quit Parliament's upper house after securing a plum new job. It was revealed yesterday that Mr Harwin has been given a golden handshake and has a new job in a federal arts body. The role is set to be announced as early as, well, later this week. Now, Mr Harwin, who has quit politics after more than 20 years, had been looking for a new job since he was dumped from the front bench in Premier Dominic Perrottet's ministry. Yeah, he read the writing on the wall. At the time, Mr Harwin said he had told the Premier he did not want to be considered for a front bench role because he had decided not to recontest the election. Sayonara, Mr Harwin. I don't think you'll be missed. Meanwhile, in another headache perhaps for Premier Dominic Perrottet, Senior Minister David Elliott has threatened to escalate attacks on his moderate faction colleagues That's if Liberals continue to criticise Prime Minister Scott Morrison in a sign of worsening division between the Liberal Party's left and centre-right factions. Now, 
Mr Elliott, as you know, directly warned colleagues that he would continue to speak out against his own party if criticism of Mr Morrison continued after he accused Liberals of propagating woke issues. And we told you about that story yesterday. Now, Mr Elliott's Facebook missive unleashing on his own party came the night before it was revealed senior Liberals had sent an SOS to Gladys Berejiklian, that is, a save our seats SOS in a bid to save at-risk seats. Local campaign teams in seats targeted by progressive independents labelled Mr Morrison as toxic to the party's chances. They can't carry on about disloyalty and ill-discipline when they will brief daily against the Prime Minister and the Premier, Mr Elliott said in reference to moderate Liberals. I will respond on the record and up front. Oh, I love a good Polly Stoush in the same party, don't I? Mr Elliott on the weekend blamed the South Australian election loss on the party moving too far to the left. Ignore the base and the base ignores you, he said. A number of conservative Liberals Now, they did yesterday at least, agreed with Mr Elliott's views. However, they thought the criticisms should have been, say, for inside party room meetings rather than on David Elliott's Facebook pages. Anyway, Cabinet's decision to block Mark Latham's parental rights bill, which would have outlawed the teaching of gender fluidity, was seen by some MPs as the most recent example of the government not acting in a way that Conservative voters would expect. Well, what do you make of all that? Let me know. Send me an email. MarcusPaul at starterfm.com.au um, There's a dot in there, isn't there? Marcus.Paul at starterfm.com.au Or if you like, you can leave a comment on our Facebook page. Wednesday morning. Nice to have you company. Welcome back. Wednesday morning, I've been looking forward to catching up with uh, Sir Khan Turk, of course, from True Crime News Weekly to see uh, what masterpieces they've been working on. And I'm happy to say Sir Khan joins me. Hello, mate. Good morning, Marcus. Nice to catch up. you got a, a few biggies on the way. Oh, we've got a few biggies on the way. We've also published a few biggies in the last uh, few days. Um, you may have noticed uh, our Greyhound story, um, the murky world of Greyhound racing. A lot of people, you know, they, they back in the day, go to the Glebe Dogs track. Yeah. A lot of the interesting characters you might meet. Um, well, we, we've had taken a deep dive into the world of Greyhound Racing and published just um, early this week on Tuesday on truecrimenewsweekly.com. Our wonderful investigative journalist, Matilda Duncan, she's found out, and this is amazing, champion Australian race dogs are being sneakily transported to China against the industry's own racing rules. Um, and these are... This is happening. Um, well, so this is big business, apparently, in Asia. Yes. Yes, so what they're being transported to China for, not for a holiday market, they're being transported to China so they can then be forced to become breeding dogs. So um, Chinese business interests and interests in Asia uh, want to get, I guess, similar to racehorses. They want the lineage. And so yeah. they're illegally transportable. It's actually not against... Australian law. This is really interesting, Marcus. So what's been happening is we've got uh, people involved in the greyhound industry, trainers, uh, etc. in Australia, 
they're winning money with, in some of these uh, races with these champion uh, uh, race dogs. One of them's called Kanye Cruz, and the other is called right. Joe Thomas. Yeah, great names. Yeah, after they've after they've been successful here in Sydney, Melbourne, on the round the tracks. Uh, a little while later, they've been sneakily uh, sold off to China, and the people involved who used to own them in Australia say some of them are saying, "Like we just sold it to someone, we had no idea it was going to go to China." Uh, other people seem a bit more, judging by their comments, may or may not know a bit more as well. Uh, but so the, it doesn't go against any laws, Marcus, but it is mm. against the racing industry rules as dictated by Greyhounds. Well, what, uh, well, what, uh, what does Greyhounds Australia say? What, what are their What are their uh, rules? Well, they gave us just your usual. If you read the article on True yeah. Weekly, which I hope all our listeners will, yeah. they gave us the usual stock standard kind of uh, responses without really answering our questions. We asked uh, Greyhounds Australasia, which is the international organisation with the oversight of Greyhound racing rules in Australian state and territories. We asked them what's happened to Kanye Cruz and Turbo Thomas, and uh, they, they didn't. Um, they couldn't provide uh, direct answers. We asked them what's happening to these two dogs in China. Do, are you aware of their welfare? Has, have they been checked up upon? And they didn't answer our questions, Marcus. Yeah. Okay. But um, when you say it's against their rules, what do they do? They not allow the export of champion dogs for yes. breeding. Yeah, so what they've okay. done is uh, they've, ex- they've, used, they've exported to China, but they've also done it under false pretenses. So the documents they've used, they've listed the dogs, which are racing dogs. They've yeah. listed them as uh, pets or companions. So oh, companion animals, yes, yeah, yeah. yeah so the, the, the peak, the, so peak body Greyhounds Australia, the international organisation, that won't say too much, but Greyhound Racing Victoria, they have told True Crime News Weekly that the export of the both dogs, or both Tanya Cruz and Turbo Thomas, they are act under active investigation and they won't say too much more at the moment. All right, well, having a look at the uh, the shipping details of the, the live animals, uh, we've got uh, dog, greyhound, it's listed in class as a companion and you know it could be also listed either as a competition animal or a breeder but it's written as companion and for the other animal uh dog greyhound list uh, listed as a pet so all right well something sneaky huh something sneaky definitely going on and look matilda's done a great job to get as close to the bottom of it as she can. We suspect yeah. there will be more information on this story um, as it unfolds. Uh, so, yeah, the greyhounds are racing. Always an issue with animals being abused or mistreated, especially dogs, Marcus. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we, how we react when we see dogs or cats being abused or any other pets. And especially, we, we, these aren't pets, but we do know that they're, they're lovable creatures. Um, but there's a lot of issues with all kinds of racing in Australia, let alone um, then transporting these uh, animals, these great specimens to China. Mm. And as we know, there's very little regulation and very little knowledge of to what exactly has occurred to the dogs once they're in China. We believe they're being used for breeding. Mm. Who knows how safe and sane that is. All right, uh, the Laundies, uh, they were in the paper today, uh, the Laundies, pub barons, if you like, they're uh, expanding their their empire, they own a, a number of establishments, uh, in particular in Sydney and New South Wales, but you have a story up uh, in relation to the billionaire pub bloke and former Liberal MP Craig Laundie. Now, he's apparently in a, a world of trouble, what's going on here? 
Yes, it's a bit of the. I guess it's a bit of the Craig's dirty liberal laundry. Uh, <laughs> these were like sensational claims, Marcus. These were sensational claims, which if they didn't, if they weren't said in a court of law, in this case, the Fair Work Commission's uh, Fair Work Commission's rooms here in Sydney and William Street there in East Sydney, if it didn't happen there, Marcus, more people would say I'm making this story up. But we had witnesses under oath just late last week. Yeah. Um, our story got published over the weekend on this, a bit of an exclusive. Um, former Liberal MP here in Western Sydney, and as you described, the family of pub barons, Craig Laundy, mm. he's alleged to have engaged in coercive control, domestic violence, stalking, as well as revenge-seeking activities after a former girlfriend discovered the powerful businessman had lied to her about his marital status for two years. So the girlfriend uh, was Natalie Baini, another person involved in Liberal Party politics here in Sydney. Right. Uh, all this happened a few years ago. Why it's come to the fore again in 2022 is mm. it's all linked to an unfair dismissal case involving um, a former staffer by the name of Pierce Field who worked with Christina Keneally there in the Labor Senator's office there in Canberra. Right, uh, yeah. To last October. He worked from about 2020 to 2000, uh, 2000, for about 18 months. Okay, yep. And he was with Christina Keneally and he lost his job because he was instantly summarily dismissed last October after a day after contacting Laundy on behalf of his friend, Miss Baini, who he knew from um, having worked in sports administration. Miss Baini is a well-known sports administrator right. in the field before taking the job with uh, Christina Keneally as an ALP staffer, worked for the AFL as a sports uh, uh, okay. reporter. And so they knew each other, little friends. He then found out about this uh issue that Miss Baini had with um, Craig Laundie where she was in a relationship with him for two years believing that he was about to divorce or was separated from his wife and he lied about this for two years apparently. This is all Ooh, right. Mr. Field got involved late last year when he found out about what was going on. Apparently Miss, Miss Baini for a number of years had been uh, stalked, including by Mr. Laundy and Mr. Laundy's children, uh, were stalking Miss Baini and her children. It's pretty, pretty, you know. Uh, it's nasty stuff. Use. Yeah, nasty, very nasty. And Mr. Field says he got involved in all this as a private matter, as a private citizen in a private matter, uh, because Laundy had uh, always uh, ignored attempts by Miss Baini and others to resolve the issues between the pair. Now the issues go to the extent that after their relationship broke down, Mr. Field in court at the Fair Work Commission under oath testified that Craig Laundy, in a, a pattern of revenge-seeking behaviour after Miss Baini had found out about his, uh, I guess, lying ways and adulterous uh, yep, yep. ways, he used his power and privilege within the Liberal Party and within New South Wales Police to prevent Miss Baini from getting an ABO out, out against him. A, that's one thing that was alleged in... Um, in the Fair Work Commission right. by Mr. Field. And Mr. Field's testimony was then backed up by Miss Baini, who also appeared at the Fair Work Commission in person. And so he he then, he, Mr. Laundy, mm. when he, the relationship broke down with Miss Baini, Mr. Laundy even went to the extent of derailing her pre-selection bid for the Western Sydney seat of Reed. 
She was a favourite tree select uh, candidate for the right. Liberal Party. And it gets even worse. Look, it's like well, the Don't give it all up. We want people to read it, remember. Oh, don't give the whole thing away. I'm not going to give it all up. There's even more sexual affairs and other Liberal Party MPs involved. It needs to be read. As I said, uh, we went to Galandia. Obviously, this was very juicy information, right, Marcus? Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. There's yep. stalking, domestic violence, coercive control, a lot of serious... Um, uh, allegations being thrown about. So we obviously put those allegations back to Laundy and his PR representatives. Yeah. We're yet, we're yet to hear anything back from them. Don't hold your breath. We won't do. No, I don't no. think you are. Okay. And so before that, before I go on that one, that case has been adjourned. So the case All hasn't right. been finalised as yet. And so Laundy's dirty liberal Laundy will be again uh, <laughs> being aired late next month in April towards the end of the month in about four weeks' time. So All right, so make sure you stay, uh, you know, you stay looking up at uh, True... Uh, Crime News Weekly because uh, you'll have all the latest details on it. We sure do, Matt. And we've got a lot of exciting things happening as well um, over the coming weeks. We've got four or five new contributors, a bunch of young interns joining us, full of stories, full of story ideas. Great stuff. Um, and so the, the, we've got plenty of big blockbusters coming up in the next week or so. We've been okay. taking a look at just a few to like whet people's uh, appetite, I guess. To uh, We've got a few stories coming out which will be interesting. A few different things. There's Mr. Cruel Unsolved Murder in Melbourne. Right. There's an issue there where... Um, Channel 9 did a recent uh, True Crime doco, but they used information that looks like it may have been plagiarised. So we're right. looking into that. <laughs> so we'll be revealing all in that in a few days' time. Okay. We're also taking a look at, we're also taking a look at the tech companies, especially Instagram, and looking at some of their weird algorithms. That's all I can say at the moment. We'll be talking okay. to uh, experts in uh, culture and technology about this, but there's a, there's a few interesting things that have worried Just us don't upset Facebook, algorithms. all right? Don't upset uh, yeah. Facebook. Facebook because uh, I think uh, I'm I'm I, I'm I'm doing pretty well on their algorithm. So let's just not upset them. Your um, your followers, your friends, your fans, Marcus, they're very reactive, very responsive on the Marcus <laughs> Paul in the morning page. We're a big fan as well. You might see us pop up from time to time there as well. So, yeah. so we're trying not to upset Meta. I think they're called Meta now, aren't yeah, they? Meta. So we're trying, yeah, Meta. We're trying not to get upset Meta too much. Instagram are owned by Meta these days and Facebook. Sure. So we'll, but we will, the stories in the public interest is important one. We will look into that. We, we do big data algorithms. Mm. Another one, this will get people be, chill up the spine. We found a person who escaped uh, the notorious now dead backpack to murder a serial killer, Ivan Malat, in 1979. No. And so, wow. so, so this man, and this man, the story is so, uh, it might sound outlandish, but again, we've looked into it. It's credible. Yeah. Um, we, we, we've, uh, the person who came across Malat in the late 1970s, 1980. Um, he became a very uh, well-known teacher here in Sydney as well. So he's telling his story for the first time. So mm-hmm. this is 10 years before the backpacker murders occurred in the 90s. Okay. And his story is chilling because it seems like Ivan Malat may have had his modus operandi down for at least 10 to 15 years right. before has been documented so that's mm. a real big story as well and finally we've got a historical true crime story a largely untold forgotten story about one of australia's first lgbtiq uh, heroes a, a queer folk hero marcus 
um, okay. to the person who who, who, who who was themselves and because they were themselves in the late 1800s was chased by a mob of a thousand angry men to the oh. police station. And so oh. we'll be revealing all about that and the colour and atmosphere and, and what that story has to tell for modern audiences. We'll be publishing that in the next week or so as well. So good mixed bag as always, Marcus. Sounds good. Get stuck on one topic, so it's just like your show. <laughs> We're always moving on, aren't we? We're always looking at different things. Trying to, mate. All right, good to chat, Sir Khan. Thank you. True Crime News Weekly. Uh, what do you want? You want people to get online there, and if they haven't already, of course, to subscribe. For sure. Get on the website, truecrimenewsweekly.com. Uh, we have our articles for free, but we also need subscribers. So yeah. please subscribe if you can. We also have the Renegade Radio podcast, which we fired up again last week. Our first guest back was uh, the CEO of uh, Unharm, Will Tregonic, who talked about all the things he knows about drugs, 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 because they're the leading <laughs> NGO. They're the leading NGO who, who are pushing for saner drug laws in Australia. So Renegade Radio, True Prime News Weekly. And as always, on the Marcus Paul in the Morning Show. All right, welcome back. Wednesday morning with Marcus Paul and great to catch up with Sir Khan, as always, from True News Crime Weekly. Uh, make sure you subscribe, check him out. Some great stories that you won't read or, or hear about quite often in the mainstream media. Well, indecent assaults in New South Wales public schools have surged by some 44%, I'm told. In just 12 months. Why? Well, because experts say boys are consuming pornography at younger ages and at much higher rates. Suicide rates among school children also jumped by almost 50% from 83 in 2019 to 123 in 2020, according to the Department of Education's Register of Serious Incidents. When it came to indecent assaults, which are assaults of a sexual nature that do not involve rape, the vast majority were students on student. One student at a school in the MacArthur Principals Network reported being indecently assaulted by receiving a hug at a school disco. Jesus. In another episode, staff in the Lithgow Principals Network reviewed CCTV to uncover numerous incidents of sexual assaults by one student. Meanwhile, in the Parramatta Principals Network, one student allegedly sexually assaulted a teacher. Now, the log said an executive staff member reports an allegation of an employee being indecently assaulted by a student, resulting in the employee physically assaulting the student on school grounds. First aid was administered. Child safety expert Melinda Tankard Reist said the spike in indecent assaults was just the tip of the iceberg, adding boys are learning how to treat girls from pornography. There is this overblown, supercharged idea of entitlement. I'm hearing more stories of students being introduced to porn by other kids on the school bus, at the school camps and elsewhere. I was dealing with girls last week telling me that boys are committing indecent acts openly on the school bus while watching porn. Really? Dear, oh dear, it's definitely getting worse. There is no doubt about it. Child psychologist Rose Cantelai said the rise in attempted suicides could have been driven by lockdowns, which led to students' mental health deteriorating. 
the things like going to school, talking to their friends, uh, they've been denied all of that. And it is going to increase suicidal thoughts. Opposition education spokeswoman Prue Carr is calling on the government to do more for students' mental health. She says there are just not enough school counsellors in New South Wales and rectifying this is one way the New South Wales government can address their shortcomings in supporting student mental health now. The Department of Education apparently did not respond to questions uh, in this uh, article that I'm sourcing here. But look, at the end of the day, you know, this kind of stuff does need to start at home. I get a little frustrated, even with Prue Carr, who I do support, but I get a little frustrated when Prue says there are not enough school counsellors in New South Wales. Well, bloody hell, Prue, our kids go to school to learn not to be counselled. Look, I know school counselling is important. I get all of that, but come on, it's got to start at home. You know, um, I don't like the idea of using mental health to bash up the school system. Um, you know, fair enough if you're talking about reading, writing, arithmetic and, you know, score, test scores and all the rest of it. But when it comes to mental health, um, you know, uh, a lot of this stuff needs to be dealt with outside of the school grounds, for goodness sake. Marcus Paul in the morning. Nice to have your company. Welcome back. Uh, don't forget, if you like to send me a note, you can do so. Marcus.paul at starterfm.com.au. And, uh, of course, you can always comment, too, on the stories we put up on the Facebook page. I've noticed a couple of uh, very interesting letters uh, that have been sent to various uh, newspapers over the last 24, 48 hours. Uh, this one regarding school from Ron and Ballina in New South Wales. It's not just the staying at home during COVID that has caused behavioural issues in schools, and we spoke about this on the program yesterday. Social changes, family values, the advances and promotion of woke thinking. Oh, really? Identity issues, casualness, individuality, cell phone use and lack of self-discipline are all factors. All right, teaching is a demanding profession, says Ron. However, school rules, social expectations and informed discipline requirements must be spelled out to parents, teachers and students. There are concerns regarding inadequate funding, leading to lower school standards, as well as a shortfall in funding for TAFEs and universities, which has played a role in an educational downgrade. There needs to be a funding inquiry, a new school curriculum review and a probe into the teacher shortage during which the opinions of teachers, education grassroots departmental workers and education experts all should be heard. Yeah, well, maybe there is time for an inquiry into all of this, Ron. Uh, Steve from Chatswood in Sydney writes, The poor classroom behaviour is a significant factor in an increasing number of teachers wanting to quit their profession. It is indeed not a good look. Perhaps it would help if the Education Department suspended the controversial new student behaviour strategy policy, policy, making it more difficult for public schools to suspend disruptive students. Put simply, discipline is the bridge between goals and accomplishments, and parents and carers must take responsibility for the critical discipline function at home. Well, I agree with what he says. He's absolutely right. 
All right, this one too from Jeff in Glen Alpine. I refer to Monday's online report detailing how flood victims dumped their house remains near Prime Minister Scott Morrison's residence, uh, well, at Kirribilli House. Um, it's Australia's residence, not Scott Morrison's. But anyway, it's his temporary abode in Sydney, we'll put it that way. While the floods event, says Jeff, was a major tragedy, especially regarding the loss of life and homes for the Northern Rivers population, and one can't imagine the pain and hardship that currently sits with them, can someone take a breath and not blame Morrison for every unfortunate tragedy incident that occurs in Australia? The PM cannot prevent these situations. However, all governments, both state and federal, need to get better at providing immediate and real support to people once such a catastrophe occurs and continue to maintain this support until towns and homes are fully repaired. So says um, Jeff from Glen Alpine down there in Campbelltown. Look, I think the biggest issue uh, with respect, Jeff, has been the fact that, you know, uh, the the federal government was big on announcements on things like a, you know, an emergency response fund. They set aside billions of dollars. I think it was $4.1 billion dollars of our taxpayer dollars saying, look, we're just going to set this aside because we know there will most likely be another major uh, flood or fire event. So we'll have the money to get people back on their feet as soon as possible. Well, that money doesn't get spent. So I think I think the criticism of the Prime Minister, the buck stops with him, of course. He's the head of the government. I think the criticism has been fair. Okay, well, that's how Wednesday went. Thank you very much for tuning in, whether on the Prawncast podcast or live here on starterfm.com.au and the iHeart and TuneIn radio apps. It's been wonderful having your company. I hope you enjoyed the program. Leave your thoughts, if you like, um, on our Facebook page, Marcus Paul in the Morning, or if you want to send me an email, maybe there's something you'd like me to catch up on, marcus.paul at starterfm.com.au. Back tomorrow with all the latest news and your views. I look forward to your company from 7am to 9am, Eastern Standard Daylight Saving Time, right across Australia. Marcus Paul in the Morning. 